Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Well, welcome everybody to the Must Read Alaska show. I'm your host, John Quick, coming to you live from somewhere in Alaska. It is a bit of a rainy, dreary day here on the Kenai Peninsula, but that doesn't stop us from bringing you some fun news. And we want to thank everybody that listens and watches and reads Must Read Alaska. And uh, we want to especially thank folks for, for people that donate to the cause, you know, a dollar, $10, $5, $50, $100, anything helps keep the lights on here at Must Read Alaska. If you want to donate, feel free to. If you go to mustreadalaska.com, on the right-hand side there, there's a donate button. And all your donations help keep the lights on here at Must Read Alaska. And for those of you that have donated before, I just want to say thank you. It means a lot to us. And uh, want to remind folks that we do have an app, Must Read Alaska app, on the Google or Android, or <laughs> that's the same store, on the Google or iTunes store. You can find the Must Read Alaska app. If you just type in Must Read Alaska in the App Store, it pops right up. It's free, and uh, we put a lot of time, money, resources into that app, and we just want to give it away for free for folks. A lot of a lot of apps are, you know, in-app purchases or cost money to download. Ours is 100% free, and uh, there's um, no, you won't get any pop-up ads or anything like that in the app. It's just uh, the news and pretty much everything you see on the Must Read Alaska site except just delivered an app form, which some people prefer over going to a website and clicking on 10 different things. You just get it right then and there, right on your app. So, and if you listen to the Must Read Alaska show on Spotify, Amazon, iHeartRadio, iTunes, and the list goes on, make sure to give us a review. Those reviews help us. You don't even have to leave or leave a written review on iTunes. You can just click on five stars and call it good. Um, we appreciate every one of those. We got about 682 of those reviews, uh, which is by far the most reviewed podcast in Alaska, and we appreciate that. We also just want to brag for a second that our uh, Facebook is going crazy this last month. We've reached 40 million people on Facebook, 40 million in the last 30 days, which is insane for us. Um, and so we just want to thank folks for for participating in the our uh, our Facebook, 40 million people is a lot of people. So uh, thanks, everybody. And without further ado, I want to uh, welcome and introduce our special guest, Donna Arduin. She is a budget, she's the budget expert as it comes to state government. She's helped and worked for countless governors all over the U.S. Uh, in official capacities and consulting capacities. She's it. If a governor comes in, wins an election, wants to figure out how to cut down the budget or be fiscally responsible, they hire Donna. She is the person to hire. So Donna, welcome to the Must Read Alaska show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Jonathan, and congratulations on your numbers. I'm a Must Read Alaska viewer, user, podcast <laughs> nice. watcher, so congrats. A couple of those clicks are yours, which we appreciate. So um, we had John, I think in the beginning of the summer, and we talked a little bit about this book that you and a couple other leading budget figures uh, when it comes to governments, government budgets in the U.S. put together. And we just kind of 
briefly touched on the subject at the very end because we were having so much fun on the podcast. We didn't get around to too much meat of it. So tell us, uh, you know, put give a give the viewers a little bit up to speed on what is this book exactly? What's it called? And uh, why? How did it come about in the first place? Okay, so American Legislative Exchange Council, um, ALEC. Uh, some of you may be familiar with them. If you go to their website under publications, you can get our Grading Governors publication that we did two years in a row. Um, you can also, by the way, get our Rich States, Poor States publication, which we've now done 15 years in a row. Wow. The difference is the Rich States, Poor States evaluates the economy of a state. The Grading Governor specifically evaluated a governor's performance during their term. That's awesome. So have you been a part of uh, this since its inception, or have you just been a part of the last couple uh, iterations of it? I'm part of it. So um, I have a consulting firm with Dr. Arthur Laffer, who was Ronald right. Reagan's economist, and uh, Steve Moore was one of our founding uh, partners as well. And Steve and Arthur and I write these publications with Alex, economists. So it's a group effort. Um, a lot of input from me on the policies that drive um, governor's grades. I, I guess I should just maybe dive into it. What we do, and Arthur and Steve and I have decades, decades and decades of data. So we don't put anything in any of these publications that's not completely data driven. But we also know, we know intuitively which policies drive outcomes. So we give them grades for their outcomes being, you know, economic growth, GSP growth, employment growth, um, net migration. Are people moving into your state instead of moving out? Um, one of our economic variables in this book was um, third grade reading scores. Uh, we would pick all education scores, but since we are grading a governor during their term, first of all, third grade reading is the most important. But second, if a governor's in for you know, four to eight years, they have an incredible influence on a third graders uh, reading scores. Um, then what we did is we actually measured the change in those scores over time, over a governor's term, whether they're in for one year or, you know, 11 years. And we normalized that. So we compared them to how the other governors did across the country. Did your scores go up or down relative to the other governors over time? Then we have a handful of inputs, um, policy variables. So your spending, your spending per capita, your spending per the size of your economy, uh, marginal tax rates. Uh, we also grade on debt. Alaska has an extremely high debt per capita. Now you may not know that. And that, by the way, doesn't even count when those scores are normalized over the country. Doesn't even count nuance things like how much Alaska's government owes to its rainy day fund, to the CBR. And by the way, how much you owe to Alaskans um, because of all of the back dividends. So those are important. We also um, grade education freedom because we know education freedom is directly correlates over time with how your economy performs. And, and during, uh, during the COVID, we even included in that not just choice, but whether or not schools were open. And we, of course, we now see we were right because the school closures have caused a devastation in scores. Oh, yeah. uh, we Especially also, things like math and, you know, my kids are in uh, uh, sixth, eighth and fourth grade. And um, man, I think that, you know, even for us here on the Kenai Peninsula, we 
we pulled our kids and and did homeschool for a year. My wife did amazing at it. Um, but there were other kids who didn't have that same opportunity and had to go, okay, we're going to school this week. Okay, we're not going to school this week. Okay, we're going to school this month. Okay, we're not going to school this month. And it just um it's it's a it's a bummer to see some kids uh, probably not grasp concepts that they otherwise would have had we just been at school and been <laughs> normal human beings during this COVID thing. <laughs> right. But then also the opportunities for school choice. Um, welfare dependency is a huge one for us. And you know where Alaska would come out on that. Um, the more welfare dependency, the larger the government, the smaller the private sector. It just it's that's the way the data um always shows us, um, even though you and I know intuitively that that's the way it's going to be. Um, union control, another big one. So there are several policy variables like that that we measure that we know are going to drive those outcomes in uh, your in your economy, your as I said, your GDP and so forth. So what are some of the um, let's let's talk a little bit about specifically Alaska, and then we'll kind of talk about uh, you know, what some of the top folks did. I think Alaska came in at 37th. So, you know, what specifically about Alaska made it, that's not a great score, you know, or Dunleavy came in at 37, which is not a great score. It's not a personal attack on Dunleavy by any means. It's data-driven. This book is 100% data-driven. Talk a little bit about, <laughs> you know, somebody's going to read this book and be like, oh, crap, Alaska is 37th. Tell me a little bit about what that means. Um, and, you know, maybe there's room for improvement, it sounds like, but uh, it is what it is. We are we are sitting at number 37, which doesn't seem great. Well, there is room for improvement. And and he, and the governor earned his grade. As, as I said, it's not just a measure of Alaska's scores. We talked about third, fourth grade reading, right? It's not just that Alaska's scores are at the bottom, but over his term, relative to the other governors, scores dropped so much that he's at the bottom. And that's something that people I think wouldn't be aware unless you looked at looked at the book. I think people are aware that your scores are poor, but they don't know that they're, they're getting worse um, relative to the rest of the country. So that's the kind of things that, you know, he earned. I like when you said that there's room for improvement and we should look at the top scores Something that we emphasize with the book is we hope that all of the governors can learn from each other. You know, you don't have to hire me to know what works and what doesn't work. We wanted to put them in this book so the governors could see. And a lot of the governors in the in the top grades, the first the top 10 and 20 um, out of 50 are very competitive. So it's been a lot of fun. Um, Governor yeah. DeSantis. Governor DeSantis came in third this year and Christy Noem came in first. So <laughs> I bet there's some competitiveness between the two of them. <laughs> a lot of them. And then we usually do this in Utah because Utah is just a, you know, annual success story. And when they get beat by anybody, they want to step it up. So they're going to look, they look in here and they say, what can we do? What can we do to uh, come in first or come in the top 10 next year? So what we do you think, to- you know, uh, Governor Noem, what do you think it is about her that, you know, she seems to do really well? I mean, this she does really well with conservatives in the media. She does really well here. So this is all data driven. She's number one. Um, you've spent a lot of time with 
uh, governors, you can probably, um, you know, pick somebody out of a lineup who's going to be successful or not. Why do you think she's been so successful as a conservative governor? Um, clearly, some of these governors who are conservative governors and many that I've worked with completely understand that the size of government and the size of liberty, freedom and economic freedom are almost mutually exclusive. And so almost everything that government does, unless it's undoing something, is getting in the way of economic freedom. And she understands that intuitively. Um, so do the other top governors. Um, so they don't need to consult with somebody like me again to understand that what's good and what's bad for a state and what's going to improve it. Um, the good news for governors who understand these things, make decisions to reduce your dependency, uh, people's dependency, corporate dependency on government, is that the economic outcomes are going to be good for everyone. When you reduce marginal um, income tax rates, you help the bottom percentages as much or more than you help those who are on the top one or 20%. And so they understand that and what they're doing. Some people call them hard decisions. I think they consider them easy decisions because they want to, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. As John Kennedy said, they want to lift all boats and they know how to get it done. Well, let's talk a little bit about the uh, 2023 budget and just kind of what your take on the budget is. I believe um, uh, I'm <laughs> I'm not known for being a super budget expert. So if I screw up some numbers, I'm sure you can correct me. But I believe the budget was $8.63 billion, which is a 30% increase, 38% increase of last year, primarily because capital budget stuff. Um, but talk to us, talk to me a little bit about what you think of the 2023 budget. Most of our readers and listeners are are kind of, uh, you know, they know a little bit more than the average Joe when it comes to Alaska government stuff. So um, they'll pretty much follow along with you. But um, what are your thoughts on this budget? Well, I'll try to keep a lot of numbers out of it. But to simplify, um, as you know, Jonathan, Alaska have been overspending for years and they were able to do it, unlike most states can't, but unlike the federal government, not printing money, but spending your reserves, spending your rainy day fund, spending the people's dividends, spending money out of the earnings reserve that should be reserved for dividends uh, for years and years and years. And when uh, Governor Dunleavy started, he had about a $1.4 billion deficit, structural deficit. And uh, now that he's leaving office, I would suggest that the structural deficit that he's leaving office with is about the same as when he started. And unfortunately, when a lot of one-time money came in because of high oil prices and um, the gobs of money come from the federal government, instead of using it to pay reserves, put money away, reduce the structural deficit over time, it got spent. And not on dividends, by the way, which I don't want to conflate dividends with the budget. Uh, your earnings reserve has been making a lot of money with the stock market. Um, the dividends should have also been paid. And as you know, that's the best way to really get um, Alaska's economy going. Yep. So uh, I'd look at you as the budget expert. Do you think that this is a responsible budget? 
um, or do you think it's uh, irresponsible? It's it's not responsible. It's not responsible to overspend ever. Yeah. It's not responsible to keep overspending, to owe your reserves money, to owe Alaskans money, and uh, and to leave whether it's going to be the same governor or a, a different governor next with the same problem you inherited. So what do you think a solution is for um, just a, you know, uh, easy pill to swallow solution is for folks that are these states or governors that are at the bottom tier, um, you know, they're being influenced by unions and special interests and, um, you know, especially, you know, in Juneau, they show up in droves during the budget time and they show up in droves if there's some sort of bill that you're, the Senate or the House is passing that they don't like. What is some advice that you've given to governors previously that are, you know, they've, they're at this crossroads and they can either decide to be fiscally conservative or not decide to be fiscally conservative? What's some advice that you've given in the past that maybe has stuck or worked? Well, I've been in a different position than legislators, so it's easy for me not to meet with special interests. In fact, um, I had a um, rule that I never met with lobbyists. So they hate me, but that's all right. Uh, makes my job, made my job easier. The most important thing, though, I'll, I'll tell you a story about one of the governors I worked with when we would debate every bill, every line item, everything that came across his desk with his great group of policy folks. Everybody was representing an interest which he needed to hear, which was great because he wanted to know, uh, not just special interests, but real people. But during one of the meetings, I looked at him and I said, from now on, I get 50% of the votes at this table. <laughs> he said, explain, Donna. And I said, I'm the only one here representing taxpayers. And he's like, okay. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. You got to keep your perspective. So has there been a favorite governor? Um, or first, before we move on to that, is there anything else you want to say about the two, the 2023 budget? Just in an, It's got an enormous capital budget. And I think to your, um, to your point, you know, we oil was over $100 a barrel for a while and we had a bunch of money. And uh, instead of, you know, putting most of it away for a rainy day, we're spending most of it. Now, I've talked to senators and House rep, you know, elected House members about. Well, my district needed this. If we didn't have this, the world was going to end. If we didn't have this, you know, road or whatever it is, whatever their capital project did, the world was going to end. Um, uh, is there anything else uh, as it relates to the 2023 budget you want to talk about? Well, two things. One, when you good budgeting, when you put money in for a capital project, you should fund the whole thing. Uh, make sure you don't just get it started, but you fund it down the line, including the maintenance costs. So it's not just one-time money that they were spending. There will be costs down the road. Uh, more important, if you're going to do major capital projects in Alaska, I know there's a lot of needs, but what about energy independence? That's something that, you know, I wasn't the first person to know when we got there a few years ago that that was the greatest need for Alaska. Um, but I don't see any progress being made in, in that front either. So it just it just feels like, and look, there, there are projects that are good across the state, but uh, especially thinking about that CARES Act money that went to a lot of things that aren't going to sustain Alaska in the future, um, it just feels like a wasted opportunity. 
Yeah, the pro the the project that uh, I'm don't mind is the uh, port project. It's the Anchorage port. If anybody's been down there, it's being held together by duct tape, a little bit of super glue, and like you know, a group of uh, Southern Baptist ladies praying for it because that thing is just in shambles. And uh, I think eventually we're gonna, you know, we're gonna, we had to bite, you know, bite the boat, the uh, swallow the pill, and and uh, do that project, which I think is like three hundred million bucks. But um, we need goods, <laughs> you know. State of Alaska needs these shipping containers is what supplies all of Alaska, and so I think that that unfortunately is very expensive. But uh, you know, we need a port, a functional port, and that port looks like it's been beat up with a baseball bat for the last 40 years and and you know nobody's done anything to it so that's another great example so don't start a project finish it yeah and i don't it's probably going to be twice that by the time they get done with it you know 300 million dollars seems like a lot but i was i was talking to the city of cordova mayor we had him on the show a couple of weeks ago and just to kind of shore up his their little teeny port compared to anchorage's port you know we're talking you know, uh, fishing boats, not shipping container boats. It was something like 60 million bucks. And so I look at the Anchorage port and I'm thinking, oh, uh, this is going to cost way more than what they think it's probably going to cost. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. And uh, I to um, know whether going into a project, it's going to be sustainable, um, economically, fiscally sustainable is to do a, a public private partnership. You know, there are port authorities in other states. I mean, you only have to look to, well, the port authority in New York, but the port authorities down in Florida. Florida does public-private partnerships, right? Whether it's roads, ports, um, you, you name it. And they're going to be sustainable because it's not just the government's project. Yeah, I, the private-public-private partnership is something I'd love to see happen with the ferry system. Um, the state of Alaska has a decent model with the Alaska Mental Health Trust where they, you know, I'm preaching to the choir here. You know all about this, Donna, but for folks that don't know, it's a self, you know, the Alaska Mental Health Trust is self-sustaining. The ferry system, and that's another thing I was talking with the mayor of Cordova about. He said they that he um, he can't even book a trip in October because that they don't the ferry system doesn't plan that far ahead which i think is just i didn't i honestly didn't believe him i was like he must be wrong you know and i didn't want to um say anything during the interview because i didn't have the fat, facts or data so i looked it up afterwards sure enough you can't book a trip in october on the ferry system it doesn't have that far scheduled out and you know you go to the washington state ferry system i lived on an island in washington state for a while and I could book something out six, nine months out in advance. Um, and here in Alaska, we can't do it three, three weeks out. <laughs> Great example, though, John. And this is something that at the beginning of uh, the Dunleavy administration was a huge failure of, of ours, not speaking for you, speaking for us, um, was communicating what he was trying to do. And the ferry system, the, the um, point of what we were doing is to be, turn it into a public-private partnership. And by saying we're going to reduce the budget was the only way to get people to really get a fire lit under them and say, hey, this could really happen. And the creative ideas started coming in. And that happened with a lot of things that were instigated by that budget. Uh, nobody wanted to cut the system off, wanted to improve it. I mean, to me, it was like, I don't know if you, 
probably don't have city bus systems where you are. <laughs> no, not, not in McKiskey. They're run, they're run by unions. And so the schedule is set by when the unions want to work, not when it's not demand driven. And that's exactly what you're talking about. If you're driven by demand and the need to sell tickets, as which is a public-private partnership, then you're going to actually accommodate the needs of your passengers rather than uh, the unions that run the system. Yeah, well, let's hope that they fix that because um, uh, just in speaking with folks that live in Southeast Alaska, it's not, they don't use that ferry system to take a vacation. They use it for doctor's appointments and all those things. So um, I'm hopeful for a solution. I haven't seen one yet, but we'll, we'll, uh, <laughs> I'll keep, keep hopeful. You know, there's, uh, there's, I, I'm still optimistic. So um, tell us a little bit about, uh, let's shift here because we only have a little bit of time left. Um, I think one of the things that's fascinating about you, Don, is that you've worked for so many very successful governors. Um, and I think that that's something to be proud of. And I think it's also fun for our listeners to hear from you stories of working with these folks. So if you can share us, share with us one of your favorite stories about um, one of your favorite governors that you've worked for. Gosh, I have so many. Um, and I learned so much from many of them. Uh, I was actually speaking with my first governor, a former governor angler of Michigan uh, recently, and I learned so much from him. And one of the things that I have fun bringing to other governors and Alaska might wanna make use of this as well, is when the judiciary tells you to do something that you know is wrong, don't do it. <laughs> and I remember telling a subsequent governor, that, well, that's what John Angler did. I said, well, I actually had our health and human services um, commissioner was hiding out in my office because the law was coming out. <laughs> but my golly, you know, I would do it too. And I remember telling a subsequent governor, he's like, well, the judiciary is telling me to let all these violent prisoners out of prison. Not, I'm not making that up. And I, we were sitting in a transition meeting. I said, don't do it. And he said, great, they're going to haul me away, Donna. They're going to haul me away in handcuffs. I said, I'll be right there with you, governor. Um, That's amazing. So you had you had the commissioner literally hiding in your office. <laughs> and eventually it, it, it won and it worked out. But you know, just don't do something that's wrong. Yeah. Well, um, are you guys planning on doing uh, the ranking the governor's book again for for 2022? Uh, we haven't decided yet. Uh, waiting for to see what Alex decides on that. So much going on in the world right now, oh, but yeah. it it has definitely been a lot of fun. And and like you said, we've been meeting with some of the top. Um, um, governors, we've also been, there's so many races this year that we kind of have this pause because we have a lot of new ones who are going to be coming in, but we've been working with them, you know, candidates behind the scenes and explaining these things to them. Either you can use it on the, on the campaign trail or, you know, know that you're going to use it when you get there and start with your transition. So we've got numerous races this year and we're hopeful on, hopeful on many of them. So my last question to you this is this, Donna. What do you think about the United States, uh, all this budget mess that we're in? We got high inflation. We got, you know, uh, the Biden administration has printed off literally trillions of dollars in COVID money and infrastructure money. Eventually, this seems like it's going to nip us in the butt. What, what are your thoughts on 
the current state of the union for uh, the U.S. as, a, as it relates to where we are at budget-wise or inflation-wise? Well, I'd say it's already nipping us in the bud, um, which may be a better definition than calling whether something's technically a recession. We have been in a recession since the beginning of the year. And when you say we have two quarters of shrinking GDP, I mean, two, that, that's a half a year. That, that doesn't mean that that's when the recession starts. It means we've been in a recession since the beginning of the year. You look at labor markets, we're down over 6 million people um, employed from where we should have been um, before the COVID lockdowns began. Um, we're high inflation. It's what we economists call stagflation. When your economy is stagnating and you have high inflation. So it's, um, it's, it's, it's a hellish economy out there right now. Now, um, to be an optimist, I would say that um, as Arthur, Arthur Laffer, my, my partner was um, Ronald Reagan's economist. And he says that it took a Jimmy Carter to get us to Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. So we are optimistic because as he said, I never thought we could see somebody worse, a president worse than Jimmy Carter but I never dreamed of a Biden. So we, uh, we're hopeful because we think this will get us another Ronald Reagan, whichever of the candidates, because they're gonna come in there not just saying, we're gonna drain the swamp, they're gonna do it. They're gonna get, go in there and pull the bandaid off just like we tell our governors to do. Um, I'm also optimistic because we have so many great governors and hopefully we'll have a new crop, but make no mistake, this, this is a terrible economy. Yeah, it is exciting to think about the the potential new um, list of folks that are going to run for president. As we look at, you know, these governors that have scored so well, man, I, I think it'd be awesome to see a couple of those in the top five run for president and, um, s- s- you know, see how much attention and votes they can garner through the process. So, Donna, thank you so much for joining us on the Must Read Alaska show. It's always a treat. And for folks that are just tuning in, um, you're going to want to go back and listen to the whole thing because, man, you're going to get a schooling and some budget stuff. And and I think it's going to be very beneficial. So um, and if you want to read more about this uh, book that offers kind of a grading of every single governor, you can go to ALAC.com. I'm going to put the link into the site and there's a list of publications on the bottom, but I'll put the link directly into the site so somebody can actually just go directly to it. And it's pretty awesome. Donna put it together with some of her um, consulting partners and they ranked every governor in the U.S. And um, there are some in the top five, some in the bottom five. We got number 37. And so, you know, I'm optimistic. We can always do better. And that's what we hope for. So, um, Donna, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for coming on. And we hope that I hope that you'll come on again uh, sometime down the road. Until next time, I'm John from somewhere in Alaska. Thanks, Thanks, Donna. Donna.